Welcome to the Cosmos in You podcast, where we interview scientists, philosophers, and leading thinkers to discuss the nature of our reality and the impact it has on our daily lives. Today we're interviewing Karen Henson-Jones, who had a near-death experience and after experiencing that went on a really incredible journey around the world and came back and wrote a book called Heart of Miracles, which is published by Hay House and is truly a page turner. She is the graduate of Cornell University, London Business School, and also Golden Bridge Yoga, where she practiced uh, Kundalini Yoga. I really can't wait for you all to hear her story. In this episode with author Karen Jones, we learn how three heart surgeries in one week at age 30 was a catalyst for a journey of a lifetime, the profound message Karen received while living in an ashram in India, the three truths she learned about life from her near-death experience, the books that have been most transformative for Karen on this journey, and finally, the new perspective she has on those who challenge us most in life. And without further ado, let's jump in. Welcome, Karen. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Susanna. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I'm really excited for our interview, just for our listeners um, to have an idea of how I know you and how I know about you. Um, I think it was now about has been eight or nine years ago, I actually profiled Karen's sister, Stephanie Jones, um, on my blog, and she became a very close friend of mine, which is how I met Karen now, I think almost four years ago we met, is yes, that right? Right? In Sam, Samovar in San Francisco. It's, yeah, Samovar in San Francisco was such a special day, and so um, you have now since written this incredible book called Heart of Miracles, which as I was sharing with you prior to getting on, um, as I was sharing prior to getting on the call, is a book that is not only full of so much wisdom and and um, and soulful messages um, and it's inspiration, but also truly a page turner. You are a really talented writer. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so what I'd love to do for those uh, in our audience who don't know about you, um, if you could tell us a bit about your background, your story, and uh, what brought you to where you are today. Sure. Okay. Um, so my, my book is called Heart of Miracles, and it's called My Journey Back to Life After a Near-Death Experience. And it sort of, um, the story is, is I, had, I came from a very conventional background, I'm not really interested. My parents aren't interested in spiritual or metaphysical topics. Um, I'm from the suburbs outside of Washington, D.C., and I really very much followed a, a blueprint that, that my society laid out for me, but I wasn't rebelling against it. I wasn't unhappy. I was perfectly content, and and this journey took me to Cornell, to London Business School, and eventually to working in, in corporate finance in a large bank. And what what had happened to me was um, I had had a, a heart condition since I was a child, but it wasn't ever properly diagnosed. And when I was 30, I re received a, a diagnosis of something called long QT syndrome, which is an arrhythmia condition when your heart 
skips beats and it can be potentially very dangerous. And it was suggested to me that, that I get a, a device. It's very similar to a pacemaker. It's called an ICD because it has what they call a defibrillator component in it. So it can shock your heart back to life um, if ever your heart skips a beat or stops. And I, upon, upon a lot of research and contemplation with my family, I decided to have an ICD implanted. And quite ironically, it was for safety reasons. And so I had this ICD uh, put in, and there's a complication in the operation, a very rare complication, but not one that's totally unheard of. And what had happened was that one of my atriums um, tore, and it started to bleed. And this led to a kind of unspeakable complication, very, very, very complicated, very difficult. I ended up having a total of three heart surgeries, one open heart surgery in a week, and a lot of incisions in my lungs. And so I had gone from being kind of like this super successful, super vital athlete, really, because I, I practiced a lot of yoga almost every day for an hour and a half. Um, you know, I, I had this job, I traveled for work, really kind of full athletic life um, to being totally incapacitated. And I'm not exaggerating to say this, you know, I was, I was comatose for three days, I was hospitalized for two weeks, and when I was returned to my, to my parents' house, then they had to hire caretakers to take care of me. I couldn't do anything, including walk. And so this is sort of the, the beginning of, uh, you, of where my story starts in the book. And it's this, this event, this dramatic event, is the catalyst for a journey that I'm about to take, but I don't yet know I'm about to take this journey, if, if that makes sense. Because, you know, at first the, the, the crisis happens, and then I'm just in the process. It, took, it was so um, severe that it took a, a couple of years to sort of recalibrate and to really learn how to heal. And the, you know, when I, when I did have this, this emergency, when I was, when my heart was bleeding, I did have a near death experience and this kind of opened my eyes to a lot. I had read about it before I'd heard about it before, but of course it's not going to be anything, no comparison until you actually experience something. And, and based on my experience, I realized that there really is an organizing intelligence and intelligence you know, the way I would describe it is you would want to say outside yourself, but then when you go through this, you realize it's integrated with yourself. So it's like something out there that you can talk to that responds, but it's also something that is linked to you so that you have this, this aspect of communication. And it's, it's something that's responding to you, something that's communicating, because I had sent out a very strong uh, prayer, if you call it, to, to survive. And then the wish was granted in a very mysterious way um which which you can read about in the book and it's this profound coincidence and so that's when I really started to believe in miracles like okay miracles aren't just for anybody else but I experienced a miracle and then I noticed that um you know that after I, I started to acknowledge that there was this miracle then more miracles happen it's like you get to a point of faith and then you can see it come in more often, if that makes any sense. So this is the beginning of the book. And, um, and I was really in a lot of trouble because I had survived this operation, but I, w I wasn't thriving in any way. It was two years later. I was still living at my parents. I was still very disabled physically, um, but I was starting to become mentally and emotionally depressed for, for the first time in my life. And it was 
really difficult. And my sister, who's two years younger than me, she sort of took control of the situation. And she thought that I needed a huge immersion. She thought that I needed like a massive change in order to get better. And so she had gotten me into meditation and she saw that the teacher that I was studying um, was going to lead a program in India. So she kind of arranged behind my back that I'm going to go to India and I'm going to take this program. So it was extremely funny because, you know, I hadn't left my parents' house in two years, really, except to go to this meditation course. And uh, all of a sudden, within 48 hours, she's arranged for me to go to India and she knew that my parents wouldn't approve. So we just told them like an hour or two before. I said, going to the oh airport, I'm going to India, we'll be back in six weeks. Oh, my God. <laughs> because they wouldn't have let me go they would have you know they were my they were my caretakers but they were also my you know my prison guards and so uh so I went to India without really I went there a very naive person with with um no with well I did have expectations you know I had read Eat Pray Love and I thought it was going to be she doesn't really complain a lot in Eat Pray Love um so I was thinking oh it's gonna be a nice country place you'll meet so many nice people they'll tell you spiritual things and it was really the place I ended up was in, in one of the country's largest ashrams um so it's like a state-run ashram that was in a city and it looked nothing like the website and I didn't really investigate really what the program was too much before I got there. And the program was so brutal. So this is kind of like the beginning of the book. And you learn about like the Beatles were there and um, what meditation is, which is mastery of your own thoughts, um, especially your thoughts towards yourself and how you can use meditation to heal your body and to sort of heal your outlook and heal your life. Um, and, you know, it's not something that's just going to happen you know, from 15 minutes a day or something's going to happen from a practice for a few weeks, but it's something that's a consistent and it builds and it builds, it builds over time until you cross a threshold where you're like good again. And then, um, so, you know, so it's the story of, of going to India and the different lessons that each place has to offer. You know, it's got a lot of short chapters with different characters and different things that they say, say to me that I really take as something very profound, like, something my teacher would say is, do you believe that your soul could have chosen this journey? Um, you know, were these obstacles put in place before you were born so that you would have these opportunities to grow? And, you know, before I would have said it's categorically ridiculous, but at this point where I'm a few years out of the surgeries and I realized how much I had been changing and how much I had been learning and growing and appreciating other people and different kinds of people and being able to recognize that the universe is essentially alive, um, then I knew that, that it was for my own growth and ultimately for my own good and for a purpose, which I couldn't see before. And when you start to see it as a blessing or as a grace or that there is some blessing or some grace, then it completely changes your perspective on who you are because all of a sudden you can go from being a victim to somebody who can help somebody else by sharing what you know. Um, so it's got a lot of really like funny characters and stories in India. And then it just keeps going. So it goes from India and Italy and Bhutan and, and finally Israel to sort of, um, there's a lot of spiritual stuff going on in Israel, not just Jesus, but a lot of things with Kabbalah and mysticism. So I went to kind of the, the famous power spots and stuff like that there. So that's it, more or less. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Just experience to death and back and around the world. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay, so I'd love to come back. Um, and 
if you could tell us a bit more about that near-death experience that you had. Um, you are, you know, in the hospital, in surgery, um, and and what 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 do you experience? It, you know, it happened right before my surgery, and and I just remember that I was in incredible pain, and I was fighting for a long time. So I want to say it, it's been like hours of kind of this feeling of hanging on or like grasping, and and the worst pain you could, most excruciating pain imaginable. And then all of a sudden, the pain was gone. And so it wasn't like I let go or I gave up, but it was, uh, it was just like you just. It, it happened to you. It, yeah. And I felt like it, it sort of happened gradually in stages, actually, because before I had this feeling of the pain being gone, um, I had collapsed from the bleeding, from the internal bleeding. And I think at that, this point, I wasn't breathing and I wasn't. Uh, I didn't have a pulse, but right before I had this collapse, I felt like a burning and I went into the shower and I remember um, turning on the water to make it ice cold and I was still burning and I was like, why can't I feel it? Why can't I feel cold? Why can't I feel cold? And I realized that I couldn't even feel water. So I was already at this point, like totally disengaged from the body. Like the body was sort of moving and doing things, but I was already out and it's funny because I have a friend who is a nurse, and she says this one time she was dealing with a chronically ill patient. She goes, she knew he was gone. She goes, he was sitting in the bed and he was eating ice cream, but he was already gone. What? So I think that the yeah, they said that's what a lot of people with like Alzheimer's are because they're already gone from the body, or they're going in and out of the body, and then they're already gone from the body, but the body sort of gets left behind, but their prana or their soul is already in the other on. dimensions. Yeah, and. So, um, so this is like super fast. It's super scary. Like, you know, people are like, Oh, you know, and then I saw about my relatives and the light and an angel. I was so happy. I was in sheer terror the whole time. I was just fighting for my life. I didn't want to die. You know, I was young. I still had my parents and stuff like that. And, um, and I got the pacemaker because I didn't want to die. And so it was, um, so it's, like I said, it sort of started gradually in stages there and then it got to a point um, where I couldn't hang on anymore. And I remember I was I was in the in the operating room, but I hadn't started the operation. And all of a sudden, I just didn't feel any pain, and I was just out of the body. And then I really just heard the name Jesus, like no visuals, nothing. It was just that. And then I asked to stay, and I said, I really, you know, please, 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 let me stay, something like that. And then the next thing I know. I'm just like waking up from this coma and, and a, uh, and a Catholic nun who worked in the hospital as a volunteer, she came to me and she had a prayer card of Jesus and she had heard about what had happened to me. So she said, did you see anything? Did you see anything? <laughs> and then I thought, Oh my God, it's real. You know, because you always hear about these things like about Jesus or Jesus meeting people. And a lot of people who have these near death experiences, they will see Jesus. And I started to wonder why, why does it happen? Because they said that, you know, people who are Buddhist see Buddhist deities. People who are are, are raised in kind of Judeo-Christian societies will see Jesus, even if they don't believe. So this was kind of like my, like another jumping off point for an exploration when I started to read a lot of the stories about what other people go through. And then um, I wanted to know more. 
so I, there's a guy who's kind of known as the national near death experience expert. And he's at, at the university of Virginia medical school. And I called him and he said, you know, all my stuff is on the internet. Um, and, uh, and, you know, n- nothing I'm reporting is new news. He says, but you know who's really interesting and is not as busy as I am right now? <laughs> Why don't you talk to my colleague? Because he studies what we call the intersection between reincarnation and biology. And so this was kind of, you know, in the book, I talk a lot about coincidence or being guided or being led or things that are placed, things in people that are placed in your path that you never could have expected that's going to lead you to the next thing. And I think that's what this this event was. Um, so I had the near-death experience. I became a believer then, um, partially in the afterlife, but more of this idea of the prayers can get answered and the miracles can happen. Um, so that revelation to me was just as strong a, or as big as a revelation as, as is there life after death. And I now believe that there definitely is. Um, but I'm not quite sure it, it it goes how we think it goes, if that makes any sense. And then, you know, becoming very interested in life after death led to this interest in reincarnation. Because if we are living beyond the body, which I became convinced that we were, then the question is, where do we, where do we go? And I didn't realize that, you know, such a huge population in the world believes in reincarnation. And it was something that was completely out of my vocabulary before. Actually, technically, it's called rebirth. I didn't, reincarnation is for deities. Rebirth is for Hmm, uh, humble humans such as ourselves. okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, but I didn't realize how many people um, believe in rebirth. And if rebirth is true and what they're it can explain a lot about our current life because I have a lot of friends who said, Oh, I'll worry about that later. I've got to worry about my life now. But a, an understanding of rebirth actually explains a lot about your current life in terms of uh, who you're with, who your children are, who your spouse is. Um, because there's this idea that, that, that we are being born again in clusters with the same souls to work things out. We have soul groups, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, that's a very long answer to you. Well, no, I love that. And I, I, um, what I'd love to do is for people who are listening, I imagine that they have a lot of questions and, um, wanting to know more about this. I know one book that was profound for me and I'd love to hear, um, more recommendations from you as well. Uh, explaining this is Journey of Souls by Michael Newton. Oh, you know, so I've never read that book. Oh, so many God. people tell me to read oh, that book. You have to okay. read the book. It's it's yeah. it's a guy who practiced um, psychotherapy for forty years um, through and did hypnosis in it um, to help people. Was not a believer in after death, uh, afterlife, etc. But what he discovered when he was in hypnosis is that people would go to their lives between mm. lives. Mm-hmm. And so he, the books, there's, there's journey of souls, destiny of souls, but they literally go through the scripts of people explaining the process of what happens in between lives. Mm. And, and he talks about the soul groups, exactly what you're saying and that you do, um, you know, the way that it's described to me, the way that I pictured it in my head was that in between lives, it's almost as if, you know, when you would go out with for a big night and then you and your friends would meet at like a brunch place the next morning right and recount what happened right recap like well so what happened where'd you end up and so the way he described it was that in between lives it felt like that you know and where they almost you almost joke with each other about 
what happened in that past life and you regroup and come together and um anyway that was the best way I could describe it but what books have been influential in explaining it for you um, there's an amazing book. I just want to make sure that I get the title right. The, the author is called Dr. Jim Tucker. Mm, yeah. And his book is called Life After Life. And to be honest, I didn't read all of it until I referenced um, certain bits on it. Uh, no, Return to Life by Dr. Jim Tucker. That's what it's called. And it's because he's got such a, a large body of evidence and for him, he's looking at it completely from a biological point of view. So he's not really interested in what people will say under hypnosis because he, he thinks it could be possible, but he thinks it's a little bit fallible. You know, he says, you know, they, they, they will rehypnotize people and then they'll, they'll say, oh, this person said that they were from Scotland. And then, you know, they're like, oh, my gosh, I remembered my past life in Scotland. And then under the second hypnosis, they'll realize, oh, that person read a book about Scotland. A couple of years ago, and that could be complex. It could go both ways. Did you read the book about Scotland because you have a Scottish past life, or did you say you're a Scottish past life because you had picked up this book about Scotland? Um, so in this book, it's 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 just got the highest number of cases that I've ever seen of um, kind of like this very thorough documentation, and it's about children who remember past lives and something about how they're. They, there's something about their consciousness or their previous experience that gets carried over in the biology. So it's like some memory that they have in their past life is always applied to something that's on their body, like a marking, like a birthmark or a deformity or something, and they can explain it. And when they go back and they investigate the explanation, um, you know, somebody will say, oh, I grew up in this village um, two hours away and my neighbor shot me. So the kid's never been to the village. They take the kid to the village. If, you know, he gives the name of the neighbor who shot him. He can name every person who lives on a certain street. Um, and he even tells his previous name in the past life, what kind of pets he had, stuff like that. Um, and, and, uh, and somebody had asked the scientist who was doing all this research, um, what do you, what do you think if people tell you, uh, is this possible that's, that this, that this is happening. And he goes, well, don't ask me if it's possible. I'll just tell you that it's true. <laughs> it's not whether or not it's right. possible. It's that it's true. So, um, yeah, so that's like a huge revelation because if you realize that your actions are going to come back to you, I think a lot of people will be a lot more conscious, a lot more careful about what they do say and even feel, right? Because a lot of everything is energy too. So that's kind of one of the points of the book. And I try to demonstrate it in like a really fun and a really nice way. Um, and I, I really develop a relationship with the reader. Like, what do you think about this? If it were you, how would you live? Um, so that the reader becomes more engaged. It's, I really meant it for it to be something that people can think about their, their lives. And hopefully that they read a, a book like this when they're young and it will change, change how they see their life. Um, or if they read it when they're older, that'll take a take away a lot of fear of of death. Um, so yeah, so I think that book is amazing. Um, Brian Weiss is pretty good, but he also does the hypnosis. Mm -hmm. So I think Many Masters, Many Lives. That that one was very good, and then um, the Tibetan Book of the Living and the Dead. Great. Um, what? How do you find that after having gone through this experience? How do you find that you approach your life differently now than before? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, it's, it, I'm still trying to figure it out. 
That's for sure. Um, but it's like this weird combination of I definitely try to have more fun. I don't deprive myself anymore. Like in, in a way, it's maybe less responsible because if there's a vacation, an opportunity for something, I'll take it. I won't, I'm not like, oh, I'm saving for my retirement. And so I, I, I don't feel guilty about stuff like that. And I don't feel responsible about stuff like that, too, which is, you know, I don't, it's a catch 22. Um, so I travel like crazy because that's what I really enjoy. And, um, but the other thing is, I think I've, I've taken this work a little bit more seriously. Um, because I, you know, you think about what your legacy is going to be. And I really see myself as a person who has an unusual vantage point. And so I feel responsible for doing this. So it's like, on the one hand, I'm like, fun, fun, fun. On the other hand, I'm like, but I take this really seriously, and I have to do it. And I can sit at the computer for 12 hours a day, (laughs) because I'm on a mission. Um, so it's it's kind of like those two extremes. Um, and then how else does it change? I eat more healthfully, that's for mm. sure. Yeah, so yeah, because... Um, yeah, what makes you, I mean, obviously I understand it, but for you, what is that? I think it's organic food. Um, just uh, a lot of different things. Um, or what, I should say, sorry, I should rephrase my question, but what is important? What did you learn through this experience that has... Uh, made you prioritize eating healthy? Um, I think it, it, you know, at first I started to do it really for that, just to recover from the surgery because I didn't have a lot of energy. So I looked to nutrition for solutions. And then I just decided to eat organic food. And I was reading some books. I did just eat organic food. And then I started getting more into like the environment as well. Like I started to watch different documentaries and different movies and then um, realizing what pesticides do to bees and all of that stuff. And so I think it, it definitely came from a need to heal my own body. And I don't know if I would have done it otherwise. Um, but then now that I'm into it, it's really like a lifestyle and it's really something that's super important for the planet because a lot of people I know uh, from my high school, from my college are developing cancer. And there's a really good book called the hundred year lie by a New York times report. I can't remember the author, but it's how chemicals are destroying our life. And there's a very strong correlation uh, between the introductions of pesticides and hormones in the food system and cancer. And it's so obvious, right? Right. Um, and Yet, somehow, we still haven't collected, like, either the education or the political will to, um, you know, to as a nation, to sort of have a general trend of eating organic food or, you know, food that's, that's not processed, that doesn't have sugar added to everything. So, but I think once you start to do it, the motivation is that you feel great and your body actually feels better and then you can't stop. But you have to do it first. So Right. You have to go on faith that it is yeah. and then and then move forward. Um, and and on this path of, of how you approach your life differently now, what are what are some key messages that you now understand from having not only gone through this near death experience but also traveled to all these other cultures? Um, what would you if there were, you know, sort of three truths that you would want to share with our audience? What would those be? Uh, they're so simple. Okay, the first one about death. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Be prepared. And the second one is... Oh, wait, hold on. Before you go back onto that, what do you mean be prepared? Oh, just to be prepared. You know, be prepared. Prepare yourself. You know it's coming. And if you if you know it's coming, then you will be, pre- you will be prepared. You can prepare yourself 
by being being getting right with everything that's in your life. Uh, okay. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Like get right with your family. Get right with your friends. Get right with your career. Um, and you know, just ask for forgiveness from anything you might have done against yourself or to others, because you never know when you're going to go. Um, and you, you know, I think that that um, if people did live with this awareness. You know, I think this society, we're so afraid of it happening. We have so much plastic surgery. We have so much emphasis on youth that we almost, even with our older people, we send them away to die. They don't stay in our homes. Um, That we've almost shut it out to make it something that happens later into something that we're actually evolving towards. And um, so prepare don't be afraid, be prepared. And the second one is, is to recognize every gracious person in your life, because there are, when you look back upon your life, you will notice that there were people who helped you and it's never the people that you expect. And that a lot of these people who are the helpers are not, are not getting recognition and support and love. So you really try to try to be, aware and recognize the the gracious people in your life um, that have served you. And then um, the third one, quite simple, is just to be kind, you know, be kind to yourself and to be kind to to others, because you're going to look back upon this life and, um, and you will, in a sense, you know, judge yourself and it's going to affect your rebirth. (laughs) So those three things, because those three things are not even just motivated uh, about your next life, but everything applies to the present as well. And if, if everybody just had the, you know, deeper awareness of those three things, I think that um, society would be very different. Those are beautiful. Thank you. Um, it makes me think on the first one, um, you know, I always think of the expression, no one gets out of here alive, right? Um, right. <laughs> there's that, that's just a fact. Um, but what's always interesting to me, something I think about, um, as I think about those who have either had near-death experiences or very spiritually evolved, it's as if there's an expectation that they should therefore live longer because they know as if like death is failing in some way. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Do you know what I'm saying? Right. Like right. And then, uh-huh. Yeah. Like as if you expect someone like a Deepak Chopra, right. To never die because yes, he's figured right. it out, right? And so, therefore, he if he dies, well, then that's a failure of the whole thing. What What is your take on all of that? Is that a negative view of that death is in some way, a, or a death or illness is in some way a failure? Or a, you know what I'm, I, I, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. I think it's personal to everyone. There's a famous NDE girl um, who I referenced in the book named Pam Reynolds. And I think that she she survived all this weird stuff. And then she died, actually. She didn't really live that long. Um, and, uh, yeah, and there have been some metaphysical authors who, who teach about, like, healing your body and the law of attraction and frequency and vibration. And they die of illnesses. Right. And it's such a contradiction to what they're teaching. Yes. Yeah, um, the, the most famous one is um, um, Esther Hicks and... Right. Right. The, um, anyway, Abraham. Uh, the, yeah. What's his name? But anyway, go ahead. Yes. And, and that, that was a perfect example of people saying, well, he knows all about that. Then why did he die of illness? Right, right. And, um, and uh, it's a combination. I think it's a combination of, of your thinking patterns and then 
of what you actually put into your body because you can't forget that we're physical mechanisms in a physical world. So there's the, the metaphysical, but we're still the physical part of the metaphysical. Um, and so you still have to be cautious, but then, yeah, I don't know what to say about it. I think it's totally personal. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see that, that idea. Like it would be weird if Deepak Chopra were to leave. (laughs) Right. Right. But of course he's going to, and I think maybe it's a shift in, in, in what death is, is that it is not, um, that if you shift the goal, right. I think most of us have the goal that's live as long and as healthy as possible, right? Right. Well, then, therefore, if you die early or you get sick, then you failed in reaching society's goal, right? Or even, you know, they say you didn't fulfill your entire potential or something like that. Yes, but if you shift the perspective on it, right, that what if the goal isn't to live forever or to live to a certain age? What if the goal instead were, as to your point, that you are living to reach your potential. Well, some people reach their potential at, you know, do what they came to do at six years old. That's right. That's right. Right? Um, Like who are we? And if there is, you know, in a lot of my podcasts, we talk a lot about this idea of time and that the past, present, Mm. future is all happening Mm -hmm. at once. Mm -hmm. And so our idea of linear time is so skewed because it's the only way our brain can process our experiences. Um. And so, therefore, how long you live is really not what we think it is. Right. That's right. That's right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, anyway, that's just something I was thinking about it in, in terms of illness and death and how we view it. And do you do find, did you find it in your time, particularly I would imagine in, in India, that the view on it is different culturally on death? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. We had, there was somebody in the ashram community who died while we were there and then I remember it was almost when she left it was almost uh, there was a grieving but it was also an aspect of, of celebration um and I think it's, it's definitely different there because they have really hard lives really hard lives and and you know in some some ways you might look at it as, as a means of escape um especially if they believe that they're going to continue and continue on to something more comfortable Interesting. Um, now, <clears throat> just to shift gears for a minute, um, one of the things that you um, talk about in the book a lot and that is woven throughout is your relationship with your father, who mm, is, is. Um, right, a, a straight and narrow, I, I best describe him, like um, not a believer in all metaphysical things, right? Um, and the sort of tension between um, this new world for you. And then at the at the end, you, you have this realization that he is your teacher. Could you tell us a bit more about that experience? So it was so funny because I, you know, I had this experience. I had all these heart surgeries and stuff. And my dad's like hovering me over me in the hospital bed. And he's thinking like, when are you going to go back to work? Not yeah. like, oh my God, you almost died. Like, thank God. What is the meaning of your life? Yeah. You know, I'm so glad you're alive. I love you so much. It's really like, all he was thinking is like, what's going to happen to her career, you know? Yeah. And and uh, he didn't lose this line of thinking, even though over years I had changed. And I said, well, I'm really interested in this. And I have this amazing opportunity to write this book. And people are supporting the project. They think that I should do it. And I think most, you know, most people would get on the bandwagon and be like, yeah, that's great. And everyone was being so nice to me except for my dad. And he would like constantly insult me all the time. 
and you know, at the beginning of the book, I had had this dream where Jesus had told me, I'm going to send somebody to help you. And I'd always wondered who is that person? Was it my meditation teachers? Was it my sister? Um, was it this person? Was it the, the heart surgeon that saved my life? And I kind of come to the conclusion that it's all of them because, you know, we're all kind of like part of God. We're all one. And then one day my sister called me up and she said, um, our teacher said something in class today and it made me think of, of dad. She says, well, you, you know, you have, um, when somebody attacks you, you have either two choices. You can attack, attack or you can lie down and die. She said, you don't attack back. You attack your own ego. And you attack your own ego. Your ego is the part of you that believes these things. So what I realized that was my every time my dad attacked me, then I would really have to question. I would either, do I believe what he's saying is true? Or do I become stronger in my belief that what I'm doing is right? Or that society should be this way and not the way that he thinks it should be? And then I realized this, that, um, you know, the years that he was attacking me like over and over and over again, he was actually building me to become, uh, to, you know, to a point where I could actually feel enough courage where I could share these beliefs with the world and start to make changes. And not only in my own life, but, you know, ripple with changes around me. Um, so that's the message is that if somebody attacks you, attack your own belief system. Nothing anybody can do. Nothing, there's nothing anybody can do to you unless you take it in and you believe the insult about yourself. What a great takeaway to have. I mean, to whether it's your boss, right? Your, right. <laughs> you know, what, yeah, where a bully at school or whatever it is. I think that it's just, it, it's so empowering. It is. And, you know, it's funny, you know, with, um, you know, especially with spiritual topics and you're talking about, you know, God and spirituality and metaphysics, you want to stay in a high vibration. You want to talk about all that is good and well. Um, because that's what you want to attract. But I think it, it deserves to be addressed that in this day and age, I think a lot of people have what they call crab mentality. When they see somebody going up, somebody tries to tear it down. And it's, it's people who aren't fulfilled in their own lives or people who aren't fulfilling their true potential or what they're supposed to be doing. And they see somebody else do it and they react. And I think that's where a lot of this insults come from. Or it could just be general stress. And just you know just know that if somebody's insulting you it might be a sign that you're actually on the right path doing the right thing yeah you know one of the other people we interviewed is dr david hamilton um and he talked about how the world around you is a mirror reflection of how you feel about yourself and so it reiterates what you're saying in that um what is coming at you is a chance for you to look at your own limiting beliefs, mm. right? Um, and and when you see, you know, reoccurrence of similar things, ha patterns happening in how people are treating you, it's a time to, you know, so for example, um, if at work you don't feel appreciated by your boss, it's, a, it's an opportunity to say, do I appreciate myself enough, right? Or if someone's attacking you for, you know, believing in, a metaphysics is a chance is an opportunity to say right <laughs> do i <laughs> yeah. yeah and um and i think it's such a wonderful way to because uh, one i think it's true and number two even if you don't believe that that's true just from a metaphysical standpoint what a great way to empower yourself as opposed to being in a victim place right
Right. And once you get into the, because I've been in victim place before, we all have it. I yeah. think it happens, you know, more when we're in our twenties, Yeah, but it's like you internalize and you think about it over and over and over again. And you think your whole life is ruined and stuff like that. And you just have to understand like where these things are coming from. And then you have to decide what it means for your life. Like, is it, you know, something that you can live with? Is it somebody you should change? Is it a sign you should change your job? And, but just don't take it so much to heart. Just don't take it so personally. Yeah. And I think that increases a lot. How our fluidity in, in life. Yeah. It goes back to the four agreements, right? Um, uh, don't take things personally is one yeah. of the four agreements. Um, so, so tell me that now, um, what are you working on now? So I just started the second book. And the second book, I think it's, this one's called Heart of Miracles. And I think the second one is called Heart of Compassion. So it's, um, it's, it's similar in that it's going to be the same format. So it's going to be short chapters. Each chapter is going to have like a different lesson, like a different vignette that it's like a parable. Um, and then... Uh, it will return to India, which I, w- I wasn't sure about for a really long time because I was like, oh, who's going to read another book about the same place? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the same title, same repeat. Um, but this one's going to be very different um, because instead of going to an ashram for a meditation course, it's going to be to to study with the Dalai Lama who talks wow. a lot about compassion. So his book, it's kind of like everything matches, everything's a mirror. I had open heart surgery. His book is called An Open Heart. And it's everything to do with um, living from a place of compassion, but it's a little bit more, you know, the first book is very um, individualistic and internal. Like, let's try to figure out life life out. What are we doing here? How should we treat each other? But this one is a little bit more of a call to activism because uh, I've become concerned about the, the, the length of uh, humanity here on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a little bit of a call to activism about how you can actually um, – you know, he says compassion, you know, a lot of the compassionate people are not fighters, you know, a lot of compassionate people sit around and they talk about compassion. And then the next step is you actually have to be compassion, actually be it. And then the third step is you actually have to spread it. And so I think that we need to, to really, it's, uh, as, as um, we really need to work on getting from step two to three. And um, this is important for our children and our grandchildren for the planet um, so this is, this is sort of the focus. It's going to be a little bit more like provoking people into activism. That's great. That's wonderful. Well, Karen, thank you so much. I can't wait to read it and for it to come out. And I just want to thank you for the, um, courage you had to step out and, um, and, and go on this journey and then come back and, and share it with us so that we could learn the lessons through you um, yeah, I don't recommend to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause I don't, I don't want to go through that. So let me, let me learn through you, but I just really appreciate you and, um, and, and all the wisdom that you shared with us today. And thank you so much for your, for your show. It's super cool. Thank you. And, and where can people find out more about you and your book? Um, the best place is the website. It's www.karenhensonjones.com. And it's got a lot of backstories, a lot of um, little uh, little trivia that you might not know about. Um, but or Amazon.com, HayHouse.com, Barnes & Noble. Um, or you can call your local bookstore, local independent bookstore, see if they have it. And if they don't, you can ask them to order it. 
Great. And again, the book is Heart of Miracles uh, by Karen Jones, and it really, really is phenomenal. So thank you so much, Karen. Okay. Thanks, Susanna. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And I would love to continue the conversation with each of you over at our Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash cosmos in you, or our Twitter page. The Twitter handle also is cosmos in you. And of course, at our website, cosmos Again, thank you so much for listening in. I'm so grateful to each of you to be able to share this shared passion and look forward to seeing you next time.